I want to ask Alan Iverson. Hey, Alan, do you like to play in the zone? Hey, Alan, what do you think about Philly? Hey, Iverson, you want to go one on one? Hey, Alan, you think you can take me? I don't think so. Hey, Alan, how high can you jump? When and I have a ring on your finger. <laughs> hey, Alan, how fast are you? And when are you coming down for a cheesesteak? Yo, Alan, wow, what's up with those shoes? Alan, what's up with the shoes? These are good questions. Very good questions. Are you asking the right questions? Interestingly, one of the answers to that may be in asking ourselves, honestly, if we're asking the wrong questions. This is important to us in marketing, and especially if we're creating differentiating strategies for our content, our brand, ourselves. Asking quality questions is one of the keys to enabling us to see what others don't see, getting insight. And being able to see what others don't see is critical in differentiating anything that we do. And the importance is really on the question, not the answer. You see, asking the wrong question but getting the right answer can be the fastest path to failure. This is classically represented by the famous line that Henry Ford never said, by the way, which is, if I asked my customers what they wanted, they would have said faster horses. Now, the lesson from this is not that we shouldn't ask customers what they want, no. It's that we should ask the right question. Asking the wrong question but getting the right answer? We're in a worse shape than perhaps when we even started. Asking then the wrong question and getting the wrong answer, interestingly enough, is slightly less worse because time and repetition will usually direct us to a better path. And then, of course, there's asking the right questions. But either getting the wrong answer or getting the right answer. Both of these are productive paths, with one obviously being the best outcome. That's how important asking the right question is. What links to getting better at this? What muscle can we develop? Well, there are two things. The first is asking our intention in the answer. If you're going to ask a question, take a moment. Think about something. Ask yourself honestly, what will you do with the answer? Will the answer lead to an insight? Will it change your conviction to move in a direction? Will it support a bias that you have? None of these are wrong, but asking ourselves honestly, is that what I want? You setting your intentions before you ask the question, ideally before you even frame the question, am I asking to learn, support, or challenge this answer? That's the first. The second is to begin to develop the observational skills for who you are asking. Develop your ability to discern the intent on listening to the answer. What is their intent in answering you? Are they teaching, selling, exploring a concept, or lying to you? Understanding the context of both the question you ask and the answer you receive as it's given helps you to know if you're asking the right question and getting the right answer and will help you to start to develop the ability to see what others can't see. And now I see it's time for me to wrap up this Q&A. Are we ready to start the show? Am I running out of theme music? Is Joe waiting for me to finish this intro? The answer to all those questions is yes. So, just one more. You ready to ask some questions? Then let's roll.
And now for your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PR with This Old Marketing. Take it away, boys. Hello, content marketers. This is Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 183 of PNR's This Old Marketing, recorded Friday, May 12th, 2017. And with me, as always, is my co-host, my colleague, my friend, and the guy who asks all the right questions in content marketing, Mr. Joe Polizzi. How are you, my friend? And happy belated birthday. Oh, thank you so much. You know, as you were saying, <laughs> as you were saying, uh, episode 183, I think if you counted up all the time we've spent on this podcast, I think we would be a small child. <laughs> I think it's, it's, maybe it's just because today I'm utterly exhausted. Many people would think we, we, we already are small children. Yes. <laughs> we, we, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah I don't know. Three, I don't know why. Three, a little just, over three years old. Well, I, but even just think about the time. It's 183 times all the articles that, we have spent our time on times the the prep time the post time everything we oh would be, yes we, yeah oh we my would gosh be like the, the yeah you uh, add that time in there and it's like yeah it's you know what's that uh i'm getting too old for this you know no maybe it's because <laughs> it's, i turned 44 and i yeah, look at the is. world and 43 seems so much easier 44 oh, is tough. you know what shut up <laughs> just shut up when when after you turn 50, then come back and talk to me, right? That's because just until then, just shut up. Just think if I'm if I'm taking 44 this bad when I turn 45, which then, you know, I'm, tips the scales to 50, I'm going to be a wreck. I might not be able to do podcasting <laughs> oh my God. anymore. Oh my God. It might, it, it might be all over. You we'll have youngsters. to really enjoy this last year. This could be yeah. it. It could be you. You're. It is all downhill for you it's, from this point forward. It's yes. done. It's done. No, I honestly had had a. It was a uh, interesting week. You know, we, you know, we had a death in the family, so we were yeah, trying to deal with all that. And then yeah. my birthday was just you know whatever. It's just another day this year. But uh, but we all survived. Family is. Uh, we all is, survived. Is, is all you know. We're close together. We're we're it, it, you know met got to see actually. It's a you know it's tough going to funerals and doing things like that. But we got to see some people that I haven't seen in a long, long time. And it was, it was yeah. sort of good seeing. It's, it's tough that we have to have... The circumstances are cir- tough, yeah. But, the, yeah, but the love is there, and that's a nice That thing. was said like a thousand times. It's like, it's too bad we have to meet on this occasion, but it is really good to see you. So yeah. from that standpoint, it was good. And, and you had... I mean, you just got off your, your three-day amazing Sundance trip... Um, I did, yeah. And, it was three uh, days of brain yoga. It and you really just was. got back. You literally just got I back. I walked in the door thirty minutes ago. Yep, and um, and so am tired, but it's a good tired. It's one of those after you've been stretching your mind and and really just engaging with some really smart, talented people um, over the course of three days about big ideas you know that just sort of stretch your brain and 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 you know you have to just quite literally take a moment and write it all down and and all of that it's uh it was it it was wonderful i'm i'm walking out the this my as i as i mentioned to my wife when i came in i don't think there was one any one sort of profound thing but there was lots and lots and lots of little things so you know if i was looking for 
you know, a bucket full of editorial ideas, man, do I have a lot coming out of that. I mean, I got, I got writing ideas for, for months out of this. Oh, it's just, that's... it was fantastic. And then some of the stuff that we talked about, which I won't belabor here, but, but just, you know, some of the trends and economies and investing and startups and what I heard about venture capital and what's going on in the, in the world of, of stock markets and, and, and what's going on with China and, and, uh, or China, as one of our politicians might say, um, you know, just some fascinating things that are going on. It's just, it's, my mind is, was literally fried by the time I, 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 we had the, you know, sort of going away party, um, uh, last night. And I was just, you know, it was just, I had to, any more than three days would have been too much. It's just great. And and Robert Redford is is nice in person as I would think he is. <laughs> yeah, well, he's not there. He's <laughs> he's of course not there. But it is held at the it is held at that Sundance Lodge, um, which is it's not so it's not in yeah. where it's not in Park City where the film um, is. It's for the film festival is. It's actually at his lodge in Provo in in the Sundance. Um, uh, right, right up in the mountains there, which there's no cell phone. There's no, you know, you, it's, 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 it's a really great place for a retreat. And the show in, after all that, I bet you just want to go take a nap, but we've got the show to do. We do have and, a wonderful show. And the show, show must go on. We, did, you know, did we have any news? I was sort of out of it this week. So as yeah. we talked about before the show, this is either, this is not going to be an average show. This is going to be our <laughs> best show ever or the worst thing we've ever done. I have my bet on a certain side of the equation, but all right. we'll see what happens. Well, with that monumental uh <laughs> level set <laughs> setting everybody's yeah. expectations let's move along here we did have some big news actually um this week um as you know to the point of it being investor and earning season um their snap uh and snapchat um is announced and and had a bad week um the headline the our top of the show story here by the way big hat tip here to our creative director uh joe kalinowski who sent this over via the uh, hashtag so thank you joe um mr jk um the headline here is snap is losing twice as much money this year as last if that was even possible it's amazing to me this uh, article comes courtesy of theverge.com where it opens up by saying snap reported its earnings for the first time since becoming a public company in march of this year its daily active user count clicked up to 166 million a 5% increase over last quarter up 36% from this time a year ago and that puts it behind, though, Instagram Stories, a competitor launched by Facebook that copied heavily from Snapchat and has already passed 200 million users. It also means that Snap hasn't found a way back to the rapid growth it saw in years past. Investors were not pleased with the slowing rate of growth, and the company's shares were down nearly 25% in after-hours trading. Financially, the company continued to increase its revenue, which grew nearly 300% to just under $150 million in the first quarter. Of that, around $8 million came from sales of Spectacles, its one hardware product. But it's still a long way from achieving profit, and even then, that revenue figure came in under Wall Street expectations of $158 million. What did you... I know you're, you're big into the stock market and investing. What did, you, what did you think about this announcement? Well, I mean, just from the stock and the valuation standpoint, I, th I believe that before the earnings came out, the stock was at about $23. Yeah. The share overnight and into the morning the next day, it went down to low 17s, believe it or not. So it took about a 25, 27% drop. 
And as we do this program, we're doing actually recording it on Friday. It's 3.20 p.m. Eastern time. It's popped back up uh, to about 19 and a half. So it got yep. a little, de- as we call it, the dead cat bounce. <laughs> it's all little dead cat bounce <laughs> right. action. Um, yeah. I mean, it's so the argument that the article makes is that, and and I guess the inv- the big investors, institutions that have bought into Snap is that their user base of 18, 15 to 29 year olds can't be reached many other ways, can't be reached through t- traditional marketing, print advertising, television advertising. So Snap has, um, you know, a moat around them when it comes to that. I don't know if that's true, especially with what you said about Instagram stories, but you know, it is what it is. They, they're spending 30 minutes a day in the app. Now, if you look at what they do per user, so this is where it gets into a little bit of content marketing. So they have their 166 million users and they have 90 cent, 90 cents in revenue per user. So think about that. It's really, that's really important. If you say, okay, each user is worth 90 cents to snap. Now, what if you looked at something like a Sirius XM model? Uh, if you look at uh, you know uh, Cox Cable, you look at those types of where they're, they're programming and then they're trying to monetize a user, they're into the $5, $10, $20, $60 a user. Right. So if Snap, and we've talked about it on this show, I think it was just a few months ago, there was an article that came out and said there's a, there's a certain institution, I think it was maybe Goldman, Goldman Sachs that said Snap could be worth in the near future $20 per user. Well, if they get to $20 per user and they're growing at 5% users per quarter, even though that's slowing growth, they're going to be just fine. Now, the question is, can is they? That, well, can they? And is that going to be coming from advertising? And my belief is no, it cannot. I don't think that Snap's advertising. We talked about what it was two episodes ago, where yep. it's very you have to the, the brands really have to work it. They have to do a lot of different things. They can't just do traditional interruptive advertising. So that means that Snap's going to have to monetize in different ways, like they did with their spectacles. And from that perspective, I think it's an interesting content ink model where they've just built a loyal audience of 160 million people, mostly younger people, and now they're looking at different ways to monetize that, which is why Snap calls themselves a a spectacles or a camera company and not a platform at this point because they have no idea in my opinion what the product is going to be to monetize so like long story short i still if you are if you're a brand out there listening to this i still like the fact that wow look they built this audience and they don't necessarily know what the product they're going is going to be that they're going to sell but they could if they made the decision, Robert, they could sell all kinds of things to this audience. And I think that's where the people that I think are crazy for investing in in Snap as a stock, that's where I think they're putting their money and they're saying, look, if they just turn the switch beyond advertising and be on selling $8 million in spectacles, this thing could really, really be something. And it's all because they built this loyal audience. So I agree with you. I, I think I agree with you. Um uh, you know, I don't have a lot of conviction in it one way or the other. You know, when I look, you know, so the other story that we could have easily covered here, which is more of a feature story than it is a financial story, which is the idea that they've now added in features that basically take away what was the core value of Snapchat in the very beginning, which was is that the messages disappeared. Okay. And so now they've, now they're starting to offer up 
um, the basically that photos and, and messages that you send don't disappear. You know, they call them limitless snaps now. And, and so you, you know, you have to assume that part, at least partial reason for the launch of that feature is because they're trying to figure out ways to better provide monetization, you know, features for advertisers. Um, you know, and so when I see those kinds of things, and then I hear about them, you know, what we talked about on the show last week, the, the, the idea of them getting in, in bed with the New York Times and, and, and maybe being able to offer content feeds through to the New York Times and, and, and monetizing um, uh, audiences that way. I, I think there's a lot, of, to, just exactly to your point, I think there's a lot of trying to figure out how to monetize this 166 million people and and having you know and and obviously simultaneously growing the audience and simultaneously trying to uh, develop you know hardware products that will that will that will f- somehow figure out a way to sell this audience mm-hmm. i wonder my question if to the theme of the show to you at you know not one that you necessarily have an answer to but my question is are they actually not paying attention to your content inc model are they not focusing right are they not you know, are they trying to do too many things well, at once because they've built this audience and without sort of a, a a core mission, if you will, and haven't figured out a way to actually sustain? And if they can't communicate, they can't sustain because if people give up on the platform and the audience, you know, in other words, if they spoil the audience, they may they they may not you know it may they may take so long trying to figure out which product to sell that they lose the audience in the meantime. Is is limitless snaps? Is that like an everlasting gobstopper? Because <laughs> that's all I'm thinking about when you said that. Um, I, I I I think the important thing is, and we've talked about this before, is they have cornered a certain audience, yeah. and they're not going to be if they make the decision and say, "Look, we're not going to be two billion strong of Facebook." We have a certain audience that we can cater to better than anyone else. And if they double down in that and really figure out the mission, then they've got something. If they say they want more, and we've talked about this, right? Like if you're going to create a content platform, you focus on one audience at a time and you be the most relevant and you be the, you create the best content for that particular audience. And once we've seen it a million times, companies come in and say, Oh, we want to talk to this audience too. And this audience and, and, and then the blog is talking to five or six or 10 audiences at the same time, it becomes irrelevant and it gets killed. Yeah. So I think if, to your point, if they just focus on being great to those to that group of people, they're going to be fine. The problem is, is that now they're a public company that everyone is pushing them for more. They want more numbers. They want more users. And I, and I think Twitter should actually make the decision as well. They, Twitter can be a really amazing community for a certain group of people and they don't have to have 300 million active users to do that well. So yeah, I agree. And I think that's I think, you know, in other words, they're not trying they're you know, the 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 question to ask is how they not how they compete with Facebook. It's you know, it's how they how they become successful despite how, Facebook. How right? they can be the best Snapchat or Snap they can yeah, possibly be exactly. to that particular audience. And if they do that, I think that's a company worth investing in and regardless of the results and the well, the the loss of two point two billion dollars, which mostly was, it was <laughs> right. it was stock well, compensation. Uh, the the founder is is amazingly rich right now, but basically they have doubled 
their loss from a year ago. And that's, you know, but they have the money to do it. They could sustain a loss for a long time. It, it's probably oh, sure. worth, yeah. it's probably worth noting though, just, you know, as we're both history buffs, if you go back to when Facebook became public and I looked at their number, the first month of trading Facebook came out around $38 a share. And four months later they were at 18. It lost yeah. half the value. Oh yeah. It's, I think were, everyone would have wanted Facebook at $18 <laughs> a share now that it's $150 a share. So there were, we were having plenty of discussions, you know, in those days about whether Facebook stock was, you know, highly overvalued or undervalued or whether they would make it or whether they could actually survive. I mean, I remember those conversations and, you know, boy, I don't know if they're going to make it. I don't, (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. There may be something on the horizon for that little Zuckerberg kid. Something like that. All right. (laughs) All right, moving on to our next story here. Um, and this one comes courtesy of Gartner. And this is one that I just sent over to my pal Joe here. So he's just getting I'm it. reading um, it right now. This is As how, we go this through is, this. Yeah, yeah, this is like real time. Right this now. is, we are real time, folks. We are real time content marketing. Um, yeah, so this one, uh, this one was, a, I have a take on this because, you know, the, the actual article itself, there's nothing terribly, you know, a huge insight here, but but the, just the fact that um, Gartner, one of the biggest, if not the biggest, analyst firms uh, out there that cover technology, marketing, disruption, change in big enterprise companies, um, the topic of the blog post, the headline is marketing content or content marketing. And I just have to shout out to uh, Kirsten Newbold, uh, I, I believe it's Knip or is it Nip? I can't. I'd say uh, Nip. Newbold Nip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, who gets it right? Just really gets it right. Um, I've had the pleasure of meeting Kirsten. I met her at the uh, at our conference, at the Intelligent Content Conference. She was there, um, and uh, and just I'm just it's it, it it's just nice when a really big analyst firm gets it right and what they're doing by the way just broadly speaking in in marketing and their new newish marketing practice as they as they is is really good um the article opens up her blog post opens up by saying every day i get to talk with clients about content all sorts of content how do you build a content strategy how can we hire great content marketers what tools should we use to streamline content creation store it for reuse long list of topics we can talk about but mostly she says she always starts conversations with a question she says, do you want to focus on marketing content or content marketing? And that's when she sees her clients cocking to one side in their head and saying, what do you mean? This is all content, isn't it? And she then goes on to explain in pretty very nice, short detail, basically the difference between marketing content and the approach, the methodology that we've been shouting from the rooftops for the last 10 years, yep. content marketing, and does a really nice job at it. And and quite frankly, I was just, it, maybe this is even just a, like a, a nice shout out or a rave or something like that, because it's it's pretty straightforward article for anybody who's read CMI for any length of time, but just to see it actually translate out to a, uh, to a major analyst firm was 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 really heartening, and I actually commented on the article and said exactly that. So I don't know what 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 you thought, Joe. Well, as you were talking, I read this, so I didn't yeah, hear it's short. What you it's, said. it's short. Yeah, no. <laughs> the the future she talks about at the end, I think, is interesting. So she says, um, "What's going to happen in the future?" And she says, "Where where marketing will evolve to, at least this is my hope, is that all marketing content, in essence, becomes content marketing." 
if not in the form of ebooks and how-to videos, then it is its intent to be helpful, engaging, and contextually relevant. The best advertisements today aren't slap-in-the-face interruptions, but funny or informative, well-targeted stories that solve a problem or deliver inspiration. The only thing I would add to that is consistently over a long period of time, which yes. tends to but differentiate. Literally, there could be a link to our new book at the end of that post. Yeah, I, I actually because- I think so. I mean, you and I, we, we've had... I don't know how many people have said, well, what if this thing happens and content marketing just becomes marketing and content marketing loses its meaning as a thing? And we're like, that's the goal, actually. This this is what marketing is supposed – the purpose of this whole thing is that marketing was supposed to be this thing that we're talking about from the start. And we destroyed it over the last 50 years of interruption. And now I think today we have the opportunity to come back. It certainly is nice that that an organization like Gartner is focusing on this. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I didn't want to overplay that, but I just, I I was nice to, it was very, very nice to see. And I, and, and to see it end with that suggested future, which of course we wholeheartedly agree with was just, was just really great. And uh, so hats off to them. That's what I said. It's interesting. I, it, I mean, it. I, it's we're a long way off, right? But just think about the fact that there will be a day that content marketing has no meaning because that's marketing. That's just marketing. Now, that's, exactly. that could be yeah. 30 years from now. I don't know when. <laughs> I hope it's You'll, less. Well, but just think about I that. You'll be 74. <laughs> oh, man. Thirty years from now, my friend, they'll be celebrating that birthday. How about how do you like that? How do you like them apples? You think it'll happen? You think it'll happen before my seventy fourth birthday? I do. I absolutely do. I am. I am. I am. I am heartened and filled with optimism that the evolution of marketing is underway, and that within ten years, I'm. I'm. I think we'll have a fundamentally different practice. Um, for our beloved practice. I think you're right. My, my bet is at about the 10-year mark is when we we stop really noticing the difference. Yeah. I mean, we talk, well, look, we talked about this uh, uh, last show, right, with the Forrester prediction around, you know, the end of advertising as we know it. And we, we you know, we kind of said, look, then, you know, it's just changing. It's not dying, right? It's evolving into a new thing. We talked about, you know, the, the evolution of advertising and, And, you know, it's this, right? What we talked about last show, that evolution of advertising is evolving into delivering value through content-driven experiences, whether or not you pay for the privilege of them being on somebody else's media, or whether you own the media, or whether it gets shared organically and you earn that media. And so, but the whole point is what goes into that bucket of, you know, holding is great, valuable, interesting entertaining, inspirational, educational content that you create over time. And that's marketing these days. And, and, and so that's that evolution, you know, it feels like you can feel those things coming together. Um, and you know, it's why we have this podcast. It's why we have jobs. It's what we do. And so it feels like it's, it's really working. So can I, can I I ask you a favor? Sure. I, can we bring the uh, the CMO article into this conversation for one second? I think you I, we didn't know if we'd have time to cover it, but I think it's the uh, w- what's the name of it? The one with the the evolving oh, sure. CMO. The C- yeah, the CMO role is shifting in 2017. Exactly, and the reason why why I wanted to to cover that really quick is yeah, um, the whole idea is that. Um, 
you know, you, whether you're the, the, the chief customer officer and chief growth officer, we're seeing all of these sort of become the chief marketing officer right now. And they talk about this hybrid uh, CMO, if you will. And the one thing that I'm missing and, and I, uh, that I'm not seeing, and I think this is the concern that I have, is I just spoke to a group of CEOs. And when I'm talking to them about content marketing and the concept and building a loyal audience and then actually coming up with new revenue streams through that audience, they really do look like look at me like I have two heads, more than normal. I mean, it's really, a, a, they, <laughs> there's an issue in the C-suite, and I don't think it's the CMO. I think it's the CEO. And the reason why I wanted to bring that article in is I think what we need to see is instead of maybe this evolving CMO and the CMOs re- responsible for revenue and responsible for uh, the customer experience and all these other things the CMO is responsible for, I really think that that needs to be the CEO's job. I think that that we're missing the mark where ultimately we the CEO, which really I think should have their eyes on the customer the entire time and maybe stop worrying about uh, analyst reports and, and stop worrying about, okay, here's what I'm going to say in my annual report uh, to the investors. Maybe we start focusing on total immersion with the customer. And if we do that, then I think then we're going to see a positive change in a lot of these large enterprises. By the way, that's just a pipe dream. But I don't know what your take is on that. But when I read that article about this hybrid role of CMOs, I thought it was missing. What about the CEOs? That's where I think we need to go. So. I, I think you're exactly right. I mean, so there's so much to unpack there. I mean, we. Can I know. I totally show. screwed up your show, show flow. No, 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 no. We could do I a whole show on just this. We could do a whole show just on this. But the, so, just a couple of uh, of thoughts um, as you're you know, as you were talking there. Um, I had the same take on the article. I mean, I didn't, you know, so, so the, I mean, the article's fine, by the way. The article, you know, from uh, marketingdive.com, which is a really cool new site, by the way, that yeah, I, I didn't thought really so. know I a lot about. Yeah, I thought so. I hadn't seen it before. Yeah. Um, really interesting, wonderful site. That, and of course, we'll link to it in the show notes. So you'll, so you'll get to see the site too. Um, but the article's fine. It just said it's covering, you know, in a very short way, covering some reports that have come out and sort of packaging them all up together to say, you know, Coca-Cola has eliminated the CMO spot altogether. Um, Citibank has combined its global consumer marketing and advertising and global entertainment groups under one CMO. Basically, there's a lot of movement going on in the CMO's office right now. And I think to the point that you're getting at with this idea of where does the CEO's job, uh, you know, where does that lie and where does the CMO's job lie in terms of the strategic function in the business? Yeah. I, think it's, I think it's fuzzy right now. Um, you know, and I, I don't disagree with you at all. I think some of what they talk about here should be the CEO's, uh, job and function. Uh, But then I wonder, you know, should the CMO actually be the CEO, right? Well, maybe that's the, maybe that's what I'm, and you're seeing a lot more of that. You're seeing more, um, even is it, um, Pepsi's CEO that had some marketing experience before? Yeah, so you're well, seeing, you're I mean, more and more of that happen where the marketing, even Jeff Immelt had some marketing experience. Absolutely. I think more yeah. and more of that you're going to see where the CMO becomes the CEO because they have the best understanding of the customer. That's right. That's right. And by the way, as we start getting more into, um, and you know, this was something actually that we did talk about at the at the retreat I was just on. The increasing trend of businesses to become platforms, right? Multi revenue generating platforms. You know, with the growth of companies like 
if you look at Apple, you know, the, the, the FANG model, right? So you've got Apple, uh, Facebook, uh, Google, and Amazon, um, and Netflix, sort of this, the, the, coming, the, the, the coming emergence of multi-revenue platforms as big businesses that are creating revenue streams at all parts, you know, that are customer centric at all parts. Just take Amazon as an example. You know, Amazon used to be a place where you went and bought books, right? It was an online bookstore and now is an enterprise software company and they make money with hardware and devices and they make money as an online retailer. And they, I mean, they have so many revenue streams. It's, 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 it's crazy. The amount of what they do, you know, from streaming media to, you know, I mean, what doesn't Amazon do these days? And so you look at Apple and all those kinds of things and you start thinking to yourself as more smaller companies start to take this kind of approach and, you know, to the point of our book in marketing and elsewhere in the customer experience, being completely centered on that customer experience and drawing in revenue that way, it will, that will be your natural leader in the organization. It's a, it's, it, it seems to me to be a natural trend. Um, and it's why I'm so bullish on marketing as a practice and marketing practitioners as, as the leaders, you know, the future leaders of our business. Um, it's, it's, it's why I have ever more excitement for it. And I think, you know, it, it's not about eliminating the CMO position as, as Coca-Cola has done. It is, it is increasing the importance of the function of marketing more broadly and figuring out where the, you may need multiple leaders because it's just become so big and important. You know, it's interesting. I've been at an inside and worked for many of these as well, but inside a number of large media companies where they get to a certain size and then they'd start to structure around product. Yeah. And you know that that was, they were doomed because as soon as you structure around, oh, this is our magazine group and this is our e-business group and this is our training group. And then you lose sight of that. Uh, okay, who, who's the audience we're trying to target to, or are we just putting out this product? And that's what we, that's what our mission is around. That's and, right. And, and, I, you, and, and that's get, where, yeah. yeah. So I, I think that that's where if, you know, if you're in a company and you are structured around product groups, it's very, very difficult to build yourself as a platform like Amazon has. So that's right. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a it's 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 a, it's a fascinating. Like I said, you know, you and I could sit here and talk for another hour about this because it's just a fascinating trend where we're starting to see the the convergence of content, media, marketing, sales, customer experience, and all of that as a centralizing strategy to reach consumers with some frequency and get them to do something we want them to do, which inevitably is buy our product or service. Mm -hmm. And that's becoming a business strategy that is truly core to the DNA of whatever the business is. And so increasingly it looks like that should be your C-suite. The The challenge that I see so frequently these days, I'm, I'm actually in the middle of writing a piece on this is, you know, you've heard before the, the, the you know, the sort of the idea of the disappearing middle class, what I see increasingly these days in the brands that I work with is what's something I call the, 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 the decline of middle management, the disappearing middle management, where you have a C-suite, a leadership team that is increasingly out of touch with what's going on at the practitioner level. 
and they're you know they're busy working you know Super Bowl ads and big strategies and big money and doing TED talks and all those kinds of things, and then you have the practitioners down below who are all rolling up their sleeves and pushing buttons and trying to make things work and busier and busier and busier than ever, and there's nobody in the middle facilitating real strategy right that that is actually bringing those things together, bringing the silos together, making things work in in, in an interesting way. And there's this real decline of, of, of any sort of strategic thing where the practitioners know what the strategy is from the executives and the executives know how to develop a strategy that the practitioners can actually execute. It's a real fascinating well, trend. I have no data for it, but it's just a... It's no, a, I'll, give you, it's, I'll give you a data point. The new CEO of Coca-Cola just came out and they said they're, they're, uh, they're going from whatever, over 100,000 employees to 40,000 employees in the next couple of years. Because yeah, they can't be entrepreneurial. They can't... They can't focus uh, as quickly and attentively to the needs of the customer because they're too big. Yeah. So there you go. <laughs> I need an everlasting gobstopper. That's exactly what we need. If we're gonna go another hour with the show, I, I, I don't know. This, I don't know if that's a. I don't know if we're ending there on a positive note or a negative note or sort of a of a neutral note. But I'm. I, I feel you know better. What that, I don't. I, I feel better after like <laughs> letting that rant out. You know what that was? That was a not our problem. That's yeah. it's like well, <laughs> it's not we're our gonna problem. have to deal with it. You can call us if you want. We'll yeah, be happy to chat with you. Good luck so, there, Facebook yeah. and Apple and all them companies. <laughs> yep, good luck to you. Oh, gosh. Um, we should talk about our sponsor because we have an amazing sponsor we to talk probably about. Probably should. Uh, our sponsor this week and this rest of the the month is Brightcove, and we love Brightcove. Uh, what they do in video. They've been our partner in video for a long, long time. Uh, with eight in 10 consumers engaging with brands on social media and three in four consumers linking social media viewing to purchasing decisions, the uh, Brightcove has been talking about how brands can make the most of this opportunity. And they created this piece, this ebook called The Science of Social Video so that you can learn how to turn social video views into value. It's called The Science of Social Video. You can get there at cmi.media slash pnr183. That's cmi.media slash pnr183. And what they've done, Robert, is they've incorporated the responses of 5,500 viewers across the U.S., U.K., France, Germany, and Australia, And which I believe you're going to be in Australia next week. So you I can will. talk to these people firsthand. Uh, the report offers not only a fascinating snapshot into the evolving world of social video, but also a glimpse at the benefits for those brands who are able to turn it into an advantage the science of social video you can get at cmi.media slash pnr 183 and thank you so much to our friends at brightco for sponsoring this week's episode it's fantastic i just love it so much and it's a good yeah it's a great thing and i will be in australia so i'll I'll ask them about it while I'm down there because you know they all know each other in australia they do everybody knows they each do each. yeah and it's a little known fact that they that they all know each other and um and I'll be yeah I'll be in in Europe while you're in Australia and there and you go. you're it's totally different it's a totally yeah. different place did you know that it's I did know that yeah. I did I did I, I've same. heard this that yeah. that Europe is a different place than Australia um <laughs> yeah we, okay which are we really good episode or really bad episode I don't know now where, we know. where is it where where is it falling <laughs> on your bet how are you start, doing on yeah, your bet I'm definitely winning the bet. Okay. All right then. <laughs> it is uh, now time for your favorite part of the show, ladies and gentlemen. If this hasn't already uh, been your favorite enough already, <laughs> it is our rants and rave section where Joe and I go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave over something that makes us feel like we've asked just the right question 
or something that makes us feel like we're just, you know, asking all the wrong questions. Um, and let's see, you go first because shock of all shock. Oh my God. <laughs> Given yeah. the quality of this episode, you have this old marketing. It's, it's amazing. It's funny yeah, how just, that works just out. Digging a hole here. Um, <laughs> so I have actually, I have a rave and then a commentary. And okay. my rave actually found this on that marketing dive site. And I didn't realize this, but I just thought it was interesting. So, uh, the, you know, the whole Wendy's, uh, the, the 16 year old Carter. Wilker- oh, yeah. Wilkerson. I was just going to ask you about yeah, that. Actually, so Carter about the Wilkerson, Nuggets guy. For those yeah. people who don't know, Carter Wilkerson, he basically tweeted out to Wendy's and said, yo, yo, at Wendy's, how many retweets for a year of free chicken nuggets? And Wendy's came back with 18 million. This is on, this is on uh, April 5th. And he yep. says, consider it done. And as to this point, he he now took over the most retweets in Twitter's history uh, at 3.5, standing as we speak, at 3.5 million retweets. And he broke the record held by Ellen DeGeneres' selfie at the 2014 Oscars. And because he did that, he didn't get to the 18 million, but Wendy's, God bless them, they're going to give uh, Carter Wilkerson his uh, lifetime supply of chicken nuggets. What I think is so interesting, and I don't think you've, I don't know if you've seen this, but uh, Carter has uh, created his own website called nugsforcarter.com. <laughs> I have not seen <laughs> and that. And he's got a hashtag. It's just hashtag nugsforcarter. And uh, it's all about him and the background of this whole experience, how it started. He sells shirts. I can't. I can't even barely keep a straight face on this one. He sells merchandise that says "Nugs for Carter" on it with the hashtag. He's got hashtag. He's got a whole fundraising effort behind it. Um, I just think it's so funny that um, a mo- it's been what a month and a half, and he's got a whole initiative around this and how he's making a difference. So God bless you, uh, Carter, and what you're being able. To- I don't know if this is the greatest thing or the stupidest thing ever on Twitter, but I like it either way. So it's uh, good. So congratulations really good. to Nugs for Carter uh, for getting his lifetime supply of uh, when and good good for Wendy's not making him go to the full 18 million. I think it 3.5 million. Is plenty, and Absolutely. I don't know. It must be really valuable to to Wendy's and and uh, getting all that free PR and publicity around it. Oh my gosh, oh, they've gotten so much free free earned media out of this thing. You know, when you start calling, you know your your PR folks and going, look at the earned media equivalents we just got for this thing that fell into our lap. You know, this that's the social media side. You know, done yeah, right. That's- exactly. See, um, so my second one is totally a different subject. This is from an article from the Media Briefing. Um, it's called "How Media Companies Can Pivot Without Losing Their Reason to Exist," and it's an interesting article. But I wanted to read this last paragraph, Robert, because and we've talked about some of this in this episode. But uh, the author, let me get the author's name here. The author, um, Chris Sutcliffe says this, newsrooms are likely to need to shrink significantly across the whole industry as a fiscal crunch continues, because the article talks about how Washington Post, New York Times, The Guardian are all shrinking their news uh, journalism staffs. Uh, The author goes on to say, I'd love to see it otherwise, but giants like... um, Guardian and et al. have set out plans to reduce the size of their editorial teams in the next few years. That might necessitate a reduction in the number of verticals they can comprehensively cover. But if the news industry is likely to have taken anything away from New York Times results, it's that business models will pivot, but the mission will remain. The reason I wanted to point out this idea that 
um, those big publications and media companies are going to be covering verticals less. This We've talked about this a million times on this podcast. This is such a huge opportunity for brands. Yep. More and more media companies are closing down their journalism uh, departments. Are, they're, they're cutting back where they can because their business models are changing as they're pivoting and they're looking for new business models. This is where there is an opportunity for you as a business to come in and to cover a specific niche that you can cover better than anyone else. And um, and I just want to, we see it every day. So the more and more of these media companies are looking for what they're going to do next and how they're going to move away from advertising and subscription that just that just is oppor- so many opportunities for brands out there um, to get involved and, and to create loyal audiences around that because there's going to be a gap there that needs to be filled. So that's my take. That's great. That's so fantastic. Yeah, it was funny. You know, at this at this retreat I was at, I, I, I told the Aero Electronics story. Oh, did you really? Um, yeah, what was the reception? Oh my gosh, they were first of all, these are yeah, and remember these are all major institutional investors, right? So, you know, they're 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 deep in as it were. They had no idea, right? I mean, they knew they know obviously Aero Electronics, um, uh, you know, as a as a as a company, but they had no idea. Um, and we're just blown away by this whole idea, right? You know. I mean, it, you know, so, <laughs> look, there I tend to come across with a bit of a passion on this particular idea, so so I could have gotten off on a bit of a rant, um, and 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 really talked about you know Arrow and and Johnson and Johnson and GE and Red Bull and you know and sort of made a case for this you know for this thing that that we talk about for 183 episodes, but um, you know they it was really fascinating. They were fascinated with the idea of a brand investing in the media of their industry in order to make sure that their, you know, their target audience remained a viable one and that they could reach it. And it's just a, I I think you're absolutely right. There is such an opportunity there. So, yeah, I mean, so the point is look for these kinds of news articles. And if uh, let's say Washington post or the guardian or whoever, they decide, okay, they can't cover a certain area. That's when you can just swoop right in. Exactly. So, Exactly. All right. Well, I have um, I have a, a a quick just I want to shout out to again I, you know f- this marketing dive um, uh, website. Um, th- there was a there was an article there that I just want to give a shout out to, um, and uh, uh, and then I have another quick little bit of a commentary. I guess it is um, the the one that I just want to give a shout out to is uh, from marketingdive.com, and it's uh, an article about why consultancies aren't up ending the agency client model just yet. And I just thought it was a really good article. So, so it's a little different, actually, than some of their other articles, which tend to be sort of roundups and very quick takes. Um, this by their uh, one of their uh, authors, David Kirkpatrick. Um, and I just thought it was a really good article. You know, it, it, people have heard me uh, go off on the agency world and and the disruption that's going on with consultancies. And I still think that's happening. And this article admits to exactly that. Um, and, and they and and really talks about the idea of the disruption of agencies and how consultancies are coming into that. And he really Kirk just does a really nice job of of framing the act what the actual issue is, what the actual challenge is for both of them um, to get right. And it's it's you know so where there are some agencies that are actually doing some things. 
um, that are actually looking more consultant firm like and where there are consulting firms doing things that are more agency like. And so it's a, just a it's a really quick, you know, uh, shout out to a, a what I thought was just a really good article on the on the topic. Um, the second thing comes from this is fairly recent news. I think it's pretty much breaking. It just happened, I believe, yesterday, um, which is related, which is that Vivendi, the big entertainment company, has now completed, basically, by purchasing the rest of what it owned of Havas, which is, of course, the big advertiser uh, holding company, not certainly the largest, in fact, not even close to being the largest. They're, they're I think, third or fourth largest um, of the holding companies, the WPPs, the publicists, and, and, and those kinds of companies. And But the, the news here is that Vivendi, a big entertainment company, is purchasing the you know a very large uh agency network um for 2.3 billion dollars or excuse me 2.3 billion euros um and the uh the interesting thing to me is i mean so look there's the article that we'll link to in the show notes is from the drum.com which goes off a bit about the perhaps the the you know conflicts of interest there um and really kind of makes the point that this is the dad which owns Vivendi buying the son's company which um when they bought a piece of Havas earlier became sort of the son's company so they're basically bringing it all into the family as it were but the more interesting thing to me is and I actually take them at their word at this what they say they're looking to do is actually evolve agency services into the media things that they're doing so a a deep content network which Vivendi certainly is in Europe certainly um pulling in the talent of a Havas and all of the agencies and media companies that they actually own is a really interesting combination. And so here's your media company buying an agency uh, rather than the other way around, an agency buying a media company. And so um, I just thought it's, it's breaking news. It's a, it's a big piece. It's a, it's a one more data point on our, you know, as we, as we go forward here, as we think about this evolving nature of ad agencies and media companies and publishers and, and where they, you know, those lines becoming very blurry today. So I just think it's a really interesting look. I think you're going to have to change your bio and it should say futurist Robert Rose. Why don't you <laughs> no, do that? No, no, I don't want to be a futurist. I want to be a nowist. <laughs> is that a thing nowism no, it's not i'm gonna make it a thing now yeah. hashtag what do you, what do you study in what do you study in college uh i study nowism i study now I, uh, what's nowism. that it's the study of now if, actually i'm study studying now it's getting really this. good at being alive now of understanding what's going on now i'm a nowist <laughs> let's get again to i'm winning marketing. i'm winning the bet um, all right, <laughs> I'm winning the bet. Okay, so uh, this this uh, is an interesting example. So I got to give a little backstory here. So so my wife's uh, stepmother was going through some old documents and found what looked like a comic book from June of 1940. It's in really really good condition. And and as you know, Robert and some of the people listening to this, I'm into collectibles, so I love this kind of stuff. Yeah. Now, the only issue was that this comic book didn't have a cover. Uh, it was all it was encased in, in plastic, so I'm like, well, this is a weird uh, comic book. Um, it was printed on newspaper, and it contained not one comic book, but about a uh, a dozen one or two page comic strips. So it took me a while to find any information online, but I finally found out 
uh, that this 64-page color mini newspaper from 1940 was inserted into Sunday newspapers in New York and Chicago, among other newspapers. And in this one in particular, there's a lot of them but uh, that I found out, but this one in particular was called Tip Top Comics and was published monthly by United Feature Syndicate. Now, from what I can gather, United purchased the rights from the large newspapers of the day to insert this comic book newspaper into their Sunday paper. And then once they had the distribution, they monetized that in multiple ways. And the content was obviously the, the comic strips, which they licensed. Um, and then so and then, how, then they went to monetize it. So first, each one of the comic strips, including uh, the likes of Tarzan, Little Abner was in that, Strange as It Seems, which is like a Ripley's Believe It or Not knockoff, and many, many others. They generally stopped the story halfway through and either had a call to action to buy, let's say, Tarzan at the newsstand store directly, uh, or you could subscribe to receive your own copy in the mail, or you tell them to look for the rest of the story in the next issue, so sort of like a cliffhanger. Now they also sold, so they had little ads in the in the little the the mini magazine, if you will, where they sold full books of the comics that you could buy separately at well for an extra price. So you know that's whole. So that's sort of one you know subscription level way that they've been able to monetize this. And now the hmm. second one includes advertising. So they already obviously they already have the rights to put this into. They have the distribution which they purchased. And then they went out to, in this issue, there's uh, advertisements from fireworks stores. This was June. So they have a lot of fireworks stores that were advertising. Bicycles. <laughs> there was a Red Rider rifle advertisement in there. They were uh, advertising typewriters and even sponsored content. So in this particular wow. issue, there was an entire section on collecting stamps. And then, and then the article <coughs> on collecting stamps we're surrounded by ads from companies that sold stamps as well, which I thought so it was a mini advertising section, uh, sponsored section in a sponsored piece of content that was inserted into newspapers. So the reason I love this example so much is that this is still used today. There are a number of companies that buy distribution access in print publications specifically to deliver their own custom publications, generally in the form of a custom magazine today. And you can also see the start of what we call native advertising or sponsored content today with the with the stamp uh, sponsored piece of content in this comic strip Sunday. So that's this week's uh, this old marketing. I thought oh, it was really it. really interesting, and it's it's you know 1940, so quite a few years ago, almost 80 years ago, and we're still doing the same kinds of things. Uh, yeah, it's just happened to be on on newsprint and delivered in a Sunday newspaper. I love so. the fact that it's contextually sensitive advertising, right? Oh my you know, gosh. Putting, putting the context-sensitive advertising around the article, right? Which, you know, we have algorithms to do these days, but they were, you know, it still existed. I, I mean, there. well, it's interesting. I've worked with a number of companies, and we did this at Penton Media. This, so this is back 15 years ago, where uh, we would work with a brand, and they wanted to do their own publication, and they wanted to... They, they, they couldn't do that publication unless they drove direct revenue. So we would right. give them the opportunity to distribute either polybag, which is in, outside in a bag, or insert it where you actually staple it in or glue it inside the magazine. And then they would be able to sell to their distribu distribution partners or some of their vendors or whatever the case was. Maybe they were doing an anniversary issue or maybe it was a regular magazine issue. It's the same type of thing, except they're selling Red Rider BB guns and typewriters. So, <laughs> exactly. There you go. 
I love it. There you go. Fan- fantastic. Best episode ever. There or did, or did did we did we save it? No. Did we save it with the, this old marketing? I don't think so. <laughs> it's okay though. All right. We did it anyway. <laughs> it, you know what it is? It's episode 183 and there will there will never be another episode 183. That is correct. So. That it just like just like we've now learned in this episode that Australia and Europe are separate places. Yeah. Yeah. We've also learned that episode 183 will never happen again. And and limitless snaps. And when you limitless hear limitless snaps. snaps, you will always think of an ever, everlasting gobstopper. And hashtag nowist. Uh, you are. Oh, I am a hashtag nowist. Maybe this was our best one ever. It was pretty good. <laughs> it was pretty good. <laughs> and you're so off, you're off to Europe. You are yeah, off to Europe. I'm off to Europe. I have uh, speeches next week in Antwerp and. Um, I love Brussels. Antwerp. Antwerp's a great place. Uh, oh, and Brussels is great, too. I, I, Belgium is great. Lots of wonderful friends, uh, AJ and Bert and Chris Van Gills, and I'll see them all while I'm over there. So it'll be it'll be fun to see them again and, and talk a little uh, little content-first business model with everybody. And, and you're headed out. What are you headed out? Saturday? I'm, I'm headed out Saturday to arrive Monday, yes, oh, wow. in, um, in, uh, in the lovely Sydney, Australia, one of my favorite places it's in the beautiful. planet. So I'm, oh, I just love Sydney so much. Um, and yes, and I'll get to see some friends too. I get to see our good friend, wonderful man, uh, Todd Wheatland, oh, who wonderful. is acting as host and MC of this B2B forum, um, in Sydney that I'm in. I'll see, uh, I'll see Jason from LinkedIn. Um, and I'll see all the wonderful folks from King Content. I'll see, uh, yeah, there's a, just a bunch of people that I'll get to see. So it's, it's, it's going to be great to see all my Aussie friends. And, uh, I'm really looking forward to it. So I'm there all week. So, well, yeah, say, safe uh, travels. And I hope you, you too. Get, I hope you get an upgrade. <laughs> Thank you. No, that was taken care of. Oh, no, 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 no. good. There's, there's good no, for on you. that flight, there's no hoping for upgrades. You just do it. You yeah. Just, that, you just do that. Smart man. Um, smart man. Yes. There we go. Well, that is it for the best episode ever of PNR's This Old Marketing, number 183. For Joe Polizzi, this is Robert Rose. We are signing off. Um, and thank you once again to our wonderful sponsor, Bright Cove, for being such a wonderful, wonderful company to work with and uh, and sponsoring this best episode ever. And if you thought, it was the best or the worst episode ever. Won't you leave us a kind review on iTunes? If you thought it was the worst, yeah, you can just go like play Frisbee or something. But if you thought it was the best, leave us a wonderful review on iTunes. Um, or consider subscribing if you haven't already on iTunes or Stitcher.com or your favorite podcatcher. And when you leave us a review or if you subscribe, let us know. Won't you hashtag us up at This Old Marketing on the Twitter? We'd love to thank you personally for that. And story ideas, story ideas. We love them. You know we love them. We need them. We're nowists. We're ready to rock and roll. We need those up. You can tweet us up at the hashtag This Old Marketing on Twitter, or you can send an email, This Old Marketing at ContentInstitute.com. All the links we talked about today will be available in the show notes as we go to show, publish on Monday night when Joe will be in Europe and I will be in Australia. And of course, in the show post at This Old Marketing.com on Saturdays. Until next week, everybody, remember it's your story to tell. Tell it well. We'll see you next week on This Old Marketing.
This show is part of the CMI Podcast Network. Check out all of our shows at contentmarketinginstitute.com.